Hello, you're listening to London Life. I am Ian Hawkins and I'm with you for the next hour, guiding you through some of the interesting things that make London a fantastic place to live, work and play. I am joined as ever by my wonderful... Erst- erstwhile. Erstwhile. Yeah, I'll take that. Erstwhile producer, Ollie Hunter. We, I've got a packed show coming up. We went to see the City of London Symphonia, playing the songs of Polenk and Eric Satie. Uh, and I, having come from a position of never having seen a single frame of the Harry Potter films, nor indeed having read any of the Harry Potter books, uh, Ollie decided it would, it would be a good idea for me to immerse myself. And thanks to our friends at Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square, I watched every single Harry Potter film, one after the other, thus ruining last weekend for me. But if you want to hear what the damage, what damage 20 hours of film in one weekend can do, stay tuned, stay tuned. Uh, This show is my baby, but here is Cat Stevens singing, here comes my baby. Let's find out what Cat Stevens' baby is. things I've never done, e.g. I've never swum with manatees. 
and I've never actually touched the sun. So I've sent Ollie Hunter out into London to find me something new, something weird and strange and different that I might like to do. So we are heading off to the Prince Charles Cinema, and you've got your provisions there. Mm-hmm. My oatmeal. <laughs> right, let's go. No, I've not done a film marathon before, so I'm trying to think what I should do. I've, I've put on my comfortable shoes and some nice loose clothes, and um, I didn't sit down on the tube on the way over because I thought I'm going to be sitting down for ten hours today. So I'm going to have all the sitting down I could possibly want. Um, breakfast was an egg and a sausage because I thought I just need slow burn sort of protein. I don't need, I don't need fast release energy I'm not going to be using up many calories by sitting in a in a movie theater for 10 hours am i so we're gonna see how it goes well here we are in leicester square the home of british cinema and showbiz i guess uh, i am genuinely interested in what's going to happen because i suspect that the first few are going to be a bit of a struggle because they're, they're kids films aren't they and apparently the, the acting is a bit ropey in the in the first ones but I'm hoping that I'll be drawn into the story and end uh, a, a fan. That's what I hope. <laughs> uh, I'm now going to record another version of this where I say the complete opposite so that whatever does happen, I can be proven wrong. <laughs> so that was you, just yep. before the first film. Yep, bright-eyed, standing at the foot of the mountain, looking up and seeing, seeing the summit high above me and, and ready and up and my... Um, I think my Sherpa at my side. That's a good. That's a good analogy, actually, because I think when you look at mountains, they look a lot smaller than they actually are when you're up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So we're gonna um, we're gonna before we go into the films, mm. we're gonna go into a sorting hat ceremony for you. Okay. Oh okay. Okay. So you've got twelve questions to answer. Please not Slytherin, please not Slytherin. <laughs> I would like to point out that at this point Ian then took <coughs> a uh, questionnaire with 12 questions on, but it took about half an hour, so I'm cutting it down and you're just getting the results. So any reference to uh, any question is because of the questionnaire, not that, as you're now here, Ian likes punching kids. Okay, so you ready for it? Yep, go for it. Sort me. You are in. Wait for it. Ooh. Gryffindor. Really? Really. Wow. That's interesting. Hmm. It's all the punching kids. Yeah. Yeah. Come here, little kid. Yeah. Um, boosh. Yeah, you were. Boosh. Take Gry- that. You were Gryffindor most, Ravenclaw second, Slytherin third, and Hufflepuff last. Really? I would have put it. The I would have flipped the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a very... Uh, I question the, the accuracy mm. of these tests. If you wanted to do a more in-depth one, go on the Pottermore website. <laughs> do you know what? I won't. <laughs> right, so we've got, um, we've got a clip from you. Mm. Uh, from This is after the first... Uh, after you watched the first film. And I, want, I want to ask you if you still agree with what you said then. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Right, so we've just come out of the Philosopher's Stone. Um, right, quick review. Uh, what am I going to say? Well, acting, right, I, I can forgive like, an 11-year-old not being a brilliant actor. That's absolutely fine. The person who I don't forgive at all is John Williams. That score was like a 
brick over the head and that film has a serious pacing problem as well I looked at my watch it took an hour and a half before we got a story that was exposition for 90 minutes when I would have quite happily edited the rest of the film into that 90 minutes and that just oh, that was really slow moving so um, but, but the last sort of half hour that's a two two and a half hour movie but it didn't really get going until until the last third and then the last third really picked up so what do you think on that now yeah I stand, <coughs> I stand by that it's too long everyone said oh the first few films are kids films and then they can't be because they're two and a half hours long and they are a real struggle okay <coughs> out of ten uh, uh, you told me you gave it a 5 out of 10, the yeah. first one. This is Song 1 Radio. Uh, right. So, we are now... That's the Chamber of Secrets. I'm pleased to say that the, um, uh, the soundtrack issue seems to be sorted. And uh, the dialogue is about a thousand times better in this one. But I am starting to feel the strain <laughs> at this halfway point. So, the second film, what do you think? Yeah, on reflection... I, it was the weakest one of the whole series. Really? Yeah. That's interesting because I'm looking at it now. I'm looking at the reviews mm. now, and uh, people say that Deathly Hallows Part One, yeah, was the weakest, with Order of the Phoenix. So that was the fifth one, mm. uh, and then um, Chamber of Secrets is the third. No, it was better than the Philosopher's Stone. I don't know, well, it, it had a better pace, so I'll give it that. Uh, but there was, yeah, it was... It was just a bit of a dull story, you know, it's a big, giant... Um, basilisk. Nice. Yeah, and she's like, well... Is it, I just felt a bit clumsy and clunky. But to be honest, I, I, I find it very difficult now to distinguish between them. <laughs> I'm getting... <laughs> it, it all was washing over me. Okay, so can you remember the third one? Third one is Werewolves. Yes, Mr. Lupin. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, my eyes. <laughs> uh, well, um, I, I, I feel that all the actors are slowly becoming good actors. And also they've got a um, much wider cast, right? They've yes. got a lot of big names in there. Michael Gowan has turned up. Um, so, but, yes. So, but Michael Gambon's there, and it started really funny. And Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman was there. Gary Oldman was there. Yes. Oh, and, uh, oh, I thought uh, Emma Thompson was very funny, actually. Yes. Aided by the amusing glasses, but um, it had a, a, a much better sense of humour. I think the second one took itself a bit too seriously. Yes. It was... a. Uh, sort of stalwart attempt to make a solid second film but actually fell flat in my yeah. view whereas this was much more imaginative um, so what do you think of that one? great because it's got Gary Oldman yeah a lot of people say that's the be- one of the best yeah um, he's a class act isn't he it's very watchable and it's it, what happens and it's something I, I noticed very very quickly is that there is a there's a theme emerging of whatever you think at the, in, on page one is is not going to be the case when you reach the end. You know, there's going to be lots of reversals. So okay. you think, oh, this person's good, this person's bad. No, the, the bad one, the good guy's bad, and the bad guy's good. <laughs> and especially when you have a character like um, like Snape, who's in it all the way through, it, it's, you just get reversal after reversal after reversal until you're a bit exhausted and think, just come down one side or the other. <laughs> but then when he does finally come down one side, you're just like, 
Well played, Snape. Well, well done. So you you spoke to um, some Potter fans, Potter yeah. fanatics. What is the what is the, what are they called? Because uh, there's a Whovians who are Doctor Who. Yeah, they, but like a lot of fanatics, they a uh, lot of nerds. They Brian were really nice. Brian. Brian. Brian, are you here for the full weekend? Yeah, today and tomorrow, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Me too. I've never seen Harry Potter before. I haven't seen a frame. I haven't read a syllable. Right. So what did you come to first, the books or the films? Um, ironically, the films. Um, I saw, I think, Order of Phoenix, mm. which was like my first proper one. I then kind of really got into it. Mm. And it's a bit like kind of, I don't know, getting into a, a new artist. You suddenly go to a back catalogue, don't you? Yeah. Um, and I then kind of uh, we saw the films and then we read or, or started reading the books. We have bagels and crisps and homemade cookies, Ribena. I'm impressed. And you are you, you were saying you've got golden snitch earrings. I've got earrings. golden snitch earrings. I've got I've got my Hufflepuff scarf, my Hufflepuff hoodie, all sorts. So how did you get into Hufflepuff? How did I get into Hufflepuff? I was sorted into you were Hufflepuff. Sorted, yes. I'm a very proud Hufflepuff. <laughs> But yeah. So, what, who are the um, who are the key Hufflepuff uh, alumni? We're not actually we've not actually got a lot. We're kind of like the rubbish house. Everyone likes Cedric. Cedric Diggory, but he dies. Yeah. But then we've got spoilers. <laughs> no, it was yesterday. It was yesterday. Yes, sorry. I you watched it yesterday. I did, but by that time of night, we got attention. we got Tonks. She's pretty cool. <laughs> she kind of rocks, flying the flag for Hufflepuff. But apart from that, we're a bit rubbish. How many times have you seen the films? I can't. Count. No. No. It's just been too many. It's just pointless. And you've got the films, you've got the books, you've got the audio books, you've got the Kindle books. And it's like, like when people say, how many times have you read them? It's like you can't... She knows I've got three copies of each book. Yeah, and all sorts. I'm just like, you can't count how many times I've read them. She was annoyed at me yesterday because I was mouthing along with all the films yesterday. She was like... Shh, shh. So have you watched them all back to back like this before? Yeah, at the, the IMX at Waterloo, I think it was the year before last, they did two all-nighters, slightly different from this, um, which was a bit more kind of um, demanding, yeah. if you like. You get to a stage where you're watching something at two in the morning and you realise you should be asleep rather than watching the film. But I, I think the advantage of seeing it one after another is that there is a kind of momentum yeah. that you get, as opposed to perhaps seeing them, say, a year apart. Where you, you try to kind of pick up from it. Brilliant. Well, Brian, thank you very much for talking yeah, to no us. Thanks. Nice to talk to you. You too. Cheers. Uh, so the fifth book. Can you remember what happened? That that was the one where I joined. I joined you. For you five joined to me. Eight. No, so just seen, just seen the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, and what was really nice about that was um, at the at the end of every film yesterday, Yoli, everyone applauded at the end of the film. But in this one, there's lots more laughter. There's lots more. I guess people were fresher and lots more interaction. And, People wolf whistling in the snogging scene. Was your favourite bit the bit where um, Kingsley Shacklebolt, who's the the, uh, the black aura, mm. uh, goes, "I know you don't like him, uh, Minister, but you got to say Dumbledore's got style." I lo- <laughs> yeah, he's cool. So out of ten, that's a that's a strong one. I'm going to. I don't know if I should if I should mark the others down retrospectively. Oh, what, because you're afraid that... Because you've heard that they go up from here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I reckon seven. Yeah, yeah, because I've, I've got to go back after this and... and the doctor, who was with me yesterday with my passport tool, uh, the doctor's going to say to me, should I watch these films? And I, I think on, on the strength of that one, I'd say yes. Ooh. Yes, you should. Uh, so number six. Uh, what happened <coughs> in that? 
<laughs> Number six was Harry Potter and, and the Half Blood Prince. And the Half Blood Prince. I am the Half Blood Prince. I can't remember who the Half Blood Prince is. Snake. Is it? Yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. So we've now just left the Half Blood Prince. I get a feeling, Ollie, that in the books, the the fact that, that who the half the identity of the Half Blood Prince is more important than it seemed to be in that. Well, it was just sort of saying about Snape is this like, really really good wizard. Yes. I think it would have been good if, if uh, Daniel Radcliffe could at some point have gone bag grab Faust hammer your death shall not go unavenged. <laughs> right, uh, I've got to confess I now have summit fever which is seeing the Deathly Hallows part one. I now know what a Deathly Hallow is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've... And now I can taste that last credit sequence. And 7A and B? 7A and B... Uh, was 7A, I think it maybe took a little bit of time to get going. I thought the last movie actually tied it all together really well, it had much brilliant pace, and it all made sense in the end. It all kind of, it felt like a conclusion. Good. Well, that left me cold with indifference. <laughs> That's not true. No, it's not true, it's not true. I know, I have fun. No. Ollie, let me put it to you. Uh, how many of my predictions were right in the end? I said there'd be a showdown with something happening, <coughs> sort of a, a B strand that that happened. <coughs> I mean, that was going to happen anyway because that was very obvious. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? That's it. Harry Potter done. That's cool. So I now have the saga in my head. So yeah. So overall, the whole series as a whole. Now that you've had like a week. Uh, I think it, it really dips in the middle in those early bits and some of it is a bit like plot for the sake of plot, I don't understand what's going on. But it builds very satisfactorily to a conclusion, so the higher the number the better it probably is as a film. I think you can't watch Deathly Hallows Part 1 without having Part 2 lined up. Mm. Do, do you think watching 20 hours of film over 40 hours, is that, is that a good way of watching the films or, or what? I don't know if, in terms of kind of coming into it as a beginner, I don't know if it's the best way to start. It must be quite no. exhausting. But as a kind of nice nostalgic thing for us, yeah, for yeah. fans, yeah. I think it's a really nice thing. And to you can do. watch things yeah. develop as they go. Like we're, we get a bit fangirlish about the whole Ron and Hermione thing, so it's quite nice yeah. to watch it develop yeah. in one go. I think it's a great, a great fan thing. But if I was to recommend it to to somebody else, I, I think I'd have to say watch them once, one yes. at a time yeah. over yeah. A, over a fortnight. Because it's what, because it's what because it's a slow start. Because you start with those three that aren't really that dramatic. If you're watching as an adult, mm. I think you might. If you wanted to watch them all in one go, you'd be like you'd be thinking why am I why am I doing this thanks to the Prince Charles cinema who are very very accommodating and very lovely uh, and you must if you don't know the Prince Charles cinema look up their website they've got brilliant shows on they've got all night zombie fests they do the Rocky Horror Show they do all kinds of stuff That's reasonably priced as well reasonably priced I think it's 10 quid a ticket uh, and you can get a bacon sandwich there hey yeah you can take booze in you can take booze in uh, and if you're a member, it's £10 to be a member for a year, you uh, you get 10% off the bar prices as well. What have they got coming up? Uh, the Back to the Future trilogy, that I think was, is manageable. Okay. Because <clears throat> Back to the Future I think is one of the best screenplays ever. And I think if you see them all, they, there are... Um, Robert Zemeckis is actually quite good about, about creating images that echo and, and moments that echo. So to see all three of them together 
none of them I think is a particularly long film. Um, I think that, so that might work that, nicely. The Back to the Future trilogy. That's on the 27th of May, so you can book tickets for book that tickets now. Book tickets for that, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's at the Prince Charles Cinema. We inaugurate the evening, just drumming up a little weirdness. It gets late so early now. The waves come in in mountain phases, linked impossibilities. branching possibilities I'd see fire where it's not supposed to be in the empty library at supper time by the respirating basement door the dog eats out of an old tambourine on the floor I've been told you can live a long long time on the love of a dog And that things get bitter and bad When the people are wrong When sleep can be had for the price of a song Late in the day When the options are gone When the seatbelt's the only hug you felt in weeks When wrong numbers are the totality of your social life The obscure strategies of wildlife only flummox the hell out of you, kid. I first saw her in a megastore, the dayglow raven born into a freefall, like plastic Easter basket grass falling from an overpass. The fulfillment of a 10th grade prophecy a motel masterpiece. Blind to the branching possibilities. Blind to linked impossibilities. Teardrops were standing in my eyes. Like deer before they bolt. It was like I was stretching my arm through the cat door to heaven. I was thinking I could lick the frosting off these summer days if the nights were half as sweet. Me like a banged up dog walking half sideways. I adored the way she modified my mornings when I'd wake up in the calm shoals of a bed. Somersaults and smoke in a universe of sleep. Before she slipped into her heritage and disappeared. Now every second thought is of control. I guess in a way I long to be rad. When I was with her it felt wrong to be sad. Did I tell you an angel finally came and shut my mouth? There was a smile and a tear in her voice, too. And she taught me to relight, relight and relight again.
They tell me you can live a long, long time on the love of a dog. Things get bitter and bad. Sleep can be had. Late in the day when the options seem gone. Please let your eyes be a friend to me again. It's just malfunctioning teardrops. Cowboy overflow of the heart. Hear it from the horse's lips. Avoid congestion, nasty slips. Don't use the door when you hear the pips. And listen to Ollie Hunter's tube tips. Okay, tube tips. Tube tips, yeah! Tube tips. We've got a jingle. Here. We've got a jingle, but I'm dancing all the same. <laughs> I love tube tips. There's nothing I like more than tube tips. Ah, great. Take as much time as you want with this, Ollie. I'm just, I love this. Can't. Okay. So say you've gone out for a booze in the evening with the, the lads at Zone 1 Radio, all right? All right, already. Oh, right. uh, yeah, because that happens all the time. We're, we're quite the party animals here at Zone 1. But you're stuck on a you're stuck on the tube. No! And you need the toilet. Oh my god. You're starting to feel the pressure. Ollie, your words are painting such vivid pictures, I'm getting a physical sensation. And you're starting to rock back and forward as you know that you're gonna wet yourself on the tube and there's, <laughs> there's loads of people around. And you know the worst of it on my on my MP3 player, I've only got like a, a like an Irish music thing. So it's all with a shillelagh under me arm. It's really fast and it's like makes you want to go for a week. Okay. <laughs> no, don't you find that Irish music makes you want to go? Uh, oh, right, okay. Just me then. Um, and then you hear. Boom. Next stop is Baker Street Station. It's like I'm there. And then you're like, hang on. Hang I on. know something hang. about Baker Street. Yeah. They've got a toilet on the platform. Yes, they have. So you can get out of off the tube, go for a wee, and then get back on the tube. And continue my And journey. not have to check out, which would cost you £2.80 at peak time, £1.40 at off peak. And do you know how I knew this, Ollie? How did you know that? Because, believe it or not, this was slightly rehearsed and you told me five minutes ago that there was a toilet on the, on the bakery line. Well... But I thought I'd pretend that I knew already I could just make myself sound clever like you. It's not just, it's not just Baker Street, though. There, if you go onto the TFL website, there's a map of toilets on the tube. No. Oh, yes. a lone beetle, all entombed in thick grey dust blankets. Until we return home, honey, I refuse to hoover up dead insects, because only a dead insect truly understands how I feel. Until we return home, honey, I shall dine on nothing but tin curries. I'll always make two portions, one for you, one for me, and I'll keep on eating your portion till you return home. And honey, I imagine one of the first things you'll point out when you walk through the door is that the kitchen floor is flooded. I think a valve in the tap has probably snapped. You might notice that one of my old socks is lying stranded in the water. How I empathise with that sock. Lost, lonely, separated from its partner. Socks come in pairs, honey. Socks come in pairs. Breakfast. 
One tin curry for you, one tin curry for me. The bookshelf has collapsed, and old charity shop books lie mangled together on the carpet like ingredients in a strange and unsuccessful recipe. The toilet won't flush. The front door won't shut properly. Burglars might burgle me, murderers might murder me, let them come. Ants roam in the honey jars. Let them roam, let them roam, I say, until the day you return home. And then I'll set the hoover on them and I'll suck them up and laugh as they perish. Or I'll scoop them up and take them outside without harming a single one of them. You choose, honey, you choose. Lunch, one tin curry for me, one tin curry for you. You're still my princess, and there's your throne. No one will be allowed to sit in your throne until you return home, honey. Not even my parents. Not even my grandmother. I'd rather make my grandmother sit on the floor than let her sit in your throne, honey, even though she's 84 and has bad knees. Work used to keep phoning me. They left me messages asking where I was, asking why they hadn't seen me for days. I wrote and told them that I wasn't coming into work till you came home. They've stopped calling now. They sent me my P45. Dinner, one tin curry for me, one tin curry for you. Until you return home, honey, I'll walk on all fours and I'll scream like a fox in mating season until the neighbours pound on my door and shout that they're going to call the police. But they're fucking lying. They won't call the police. They're cowards. Until you return home, honey, I'll keep drinking every night. I'll keep waking up in graveyards and on doorsteps and in strange, unclean beds with no memory of how I got there and paranoia snacking on my senses. Until you return home, honey, I won't change my ways. I won't change my clothes. I won't separate night from day. I'll refuse to clean. I'll listen to nothing but white noise. I'll watch nothing but static. I'll talk to the cockroaches and rats about the old Steve Martin movies we used to watch together. I've been eating tin curries for five years. I'm expecting you back any day now, honey. Hello? Hello? Can, can you Am I on? Is this on? Hello? Hello? Oh, we're back. Oh, sorry, I don't, I'm not sure what happened there. Um, our roving reporter, Ayumi, uh, went to the Feast of St. George in Trafalgar Square uh, last Saturday to um, just see what was happening about and she got talking to a few famous chefs and uh, some people who were at the event. This is to celebrate St. George's Day. So here's Ayumi. Hi, so what's your name? Joseph. Jonas, nice to meet you. So, what's your favourite food? Um, macaroni. What else? Is there any um, English food you like? Apples. Apples, yeah, that's good. And duck. What? Duck? Yeah. I see. Um, <laughs> are you having a nice day? It's yeah. really sunny and nice, isn't it? So, um, what did you enjoy the most today? 
probably going to hate Envy and Primark. Hmm? Here, darling, here, not at Primark. I'm um, doing my thingy, what? my bob. What did you make? I made a face. Oh, wow. It was meant to be me, and I made a dragon's potion. Wow, that's cool. So you're gonna maybe show and tell at school? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, thank you. Ayumi spoke to uh, the Food Network's Andy Bates about the art of crimping your pie. Yeah, I've, I've got a workforce and what we do, we make these large pies that need crimping. And I've got like, once I've got two guys that work for me and I can always tell who's made who's made the pie because of the shape of someone's thumb. Awesome. So, as you start crimping the pie, you crimp it basically with your thumb. And I can always tell because I've got two chefs. I got Mr. T, he's got massive thumbs. I've got medium thumbs, you've got Yuri, he's got, he's got tiny hands. So I can always tell who's made the pastry. So if anything does go, if anything sort of cracks or leaks with a pie, you know, there's like a seal on it. So you're always it's able like to you tell. It's like a cooking detective. Yeah, well, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of. Um, the thing about crimping is a bit of a signature when it comes to pastry. You get different styles, and you can always tell the person that's done it, they've got their own unique way of uh, you know, making it set and making their pastry. Um, so. Obviously, what, what's your favourite English meal? Well, my favourite, no, like you can't go wrong with roast beef. You can't go wrong with roast dinner. Um, I don't eat, personally, I don't eat roasts in the summer. I know a lot of people do, you know, you've know, got to be roast every Sunday, but I like kind of thinking at the beginning of roasts and, and the end of roasts. I see. I almost do it as a season. As soon as it starts to get hot, I kind of rest it for a, for a good few months, you know. And as soon as that first weekend of getting cold again, because think about you know I mean, you've got a great season right in autumn, so you've got all the root vegetables through. A really good, strong, earthy flavour, so perfect to start the roast again. Yeah, and you know, as soon as it comes, the season comes back round again, I know it's time for a roast. And uh, You can't go wrong, can you? What would you drink with the roast? Gin. <laughs> good. No, no. Uh, you know, I would, I would, I would sort of drink a New World wine, you know, anything. I usually, I, I kind of, no wine, all right, but I like going to a basic, nice, a nice shop in London, very basic, like a wine shop, independent, saying, look, I'm cooking roast chicken, or I'm cooking lamb, or I'm cooking beef, or pork, tell me what you reckon. And you get that, you get a nice bit of information back to you, you know, like someone say, oh, listen, you're having this, oh, check this out, it's going to go so well with it. You know, mm. it's about yeah. getting relationships with, with food and wine. So personally, I just took my inspiration from classic British chefs, and just started reading books, and started working out pastry, and I wanted to do something different, so I'd walk around basically Brick Lane, I'd walk around all these markets, this was five, six years ago before the whole street food thing, and all I could see was this like food from, it's amazing food from around the world, you know, lots of Thai, lots of, lots of sushi, paellas, yeah. you know, all this, but I couldn't see anyone selling pies, That's it. and just doing like, do you know what I mean, real mm. British fodder, so I thought I'd just give it a go and get stuck to, you know, get involved with it. Yeah. I'm sure you have done this before, to impress a girl, I'm sure you cooked for uh, someone special. What have you done? Um, you kind of, you, you kind of find out what they like first. Yeah. It's the only advice you ever give. <laughs> always find out roughly mm -hmm. what they like. You know, it's always a good way to get into. But um, what about you know? You just, you just do a roast chicken. Yeah. Or you do some kind of chicken, some kind of chocolate. I think you're right. Hopefully, fingers <laughs> crossed, that should work. And uh, is it worked? Or and something? some Barry White in the background. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks very much to Ayumi there, who was talking to the Food Network's Andy Bates. It was St George's Day last week, that's why she was in um, Trafalgar Square. Uh, if you celebrated it, uh, send us a tweet on at London Life Radio. Um, me and Ian last week also went to a uh, classical music concert at the Village Underground in Shoreditch. It was by the City of London Symphonia, and it was uh, trying to it was trying to give classical music a uh, wider demographic, I guess. Um, so they did it in Shoreditch in a very cool club. And we spoke to the City of London Symphonia Orchestra. We spoke to Alex Wood, who was the new leader of the orchestra, who started her job recently. And Marcus, who plays the double bass. And Mark, who plays the horn. Uh, and it was a part of a, a show that the City of London Symphonia do called Closer, where they get uh, people closer to the music. How do you feel playing in this space differs from playing in a normal space, like Jacques Hall or some sort of music hall? How does this differ? Mm. Well, first of all, it's actually it's a lovely acoustic, I think. Um, it changes a bit when there are people in here, but it's, it's a nice place to play in sort of as an empty shell. But it's to do with the whole ambiance, the atmosphere of a concert here. Um, it, I don't know, it, it feels more intimate, and you sort of get more from the audience, I think, in a way, because of that. It's sort of a certain energy, a, a buzz, because everyone's quite close, and, and the in- informality, but yet... It feels special. Does that make sense? It feels special, but it's also quite informal and relaxed. It's a nice. There's a bit of hang on because I think this is a club as well, so sort of things happen here, which obviously I don't understand. But you know, know, I think maybe hopefully some of the people who come normalise it a bit. Concert, concert, different types of concerts, club and concert. So there's a slightly more down to earth feel about it, rather than being as rigid as going to a concert venue where you actually feel a bit more formal. And they're sitting on the floor here and you can have a drink and you can even chat if you want. Not brilliant, but you know, it's just much more relaxed. So it's it's sort of to try and get everybody just to feel relaxed about sitting and listening to some music and thinking it's just music, it's nice. Is there anything you wouldn't want to perform here? Well, large-scale things wouldn't work here terribly well. I don't know, I've never played with anything very big here, so it's hard to know how the, how the yeah. sound would be, because it's actually very good. Good as this size. For a group like this, which is like eight, ten players, I don't know if, if you had 30 people playing the way it might... It might be a bit overpowering. It could be, yeah. because there's a lot of space. So it's hard to say. But, I mean, there's no type of music that I wouldn't be willing to play here because of the venue. I feel like, oh, you know, this should be done in a particular place. No. You know, I feel fairly open to sort of performing any whatever I can anyway, really. Not say Marlowe. Yeah. No, no, really, there, uh, there are some um, chamber versions. There are, yes. 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 Which would work. Yes. 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 But, you know, yes. version of the classic uh, Fondo Yeah, and the first symphony. Yes. And, and that sort of thing would work well. But yeah. I, I wonder, too, that once you, you've got sort of 30 or 40 people in here, you lose yeah. that intimacy of it. Of course, you yeah. have then a sort of designated performing area, and yeah. then you have the audience bit, and it, you know, it, it makes it more like a sort of formal concert. Yes, the more people you have playing, the more you're going to have a fixed performance area with a big divide. As the, as, as the players get bigger, as there are more of them, everything gets more formalised, so you can't just be here and there as the audience. So. The nice thing about that small smaller orchestra, is eight people, is you can pick out the bass, you can pick out yeah. the horn. Yes, as a listening thing, it's, yeah. it's yeah. good, because you can, you can see it and you can hear it and work it out, whereas when Marla's going... Full tilt. Yes. Who knows who's doing what? <laughs> except hanging on for dear life. <laughs> <laughs>
think time for the next question. Annabelle, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask? Um, perhaps you might tell us a bit about why we're celebrating Poole, and obviously Swiss anniversary's death, but why do you personally, as players, feel that Poole needs to be remembered? Um, the point of the festival, how do you feel about Poole's music? Why are we celebrating him and not it's a rather first. tricky question, really, isn't it? I mean, there are several things there. One, it's his anniversary, whatever it is, so he's going to be done. Because I mean, this is, if you look at the proms every year, it's somebody's centenary, bicentenary, or something, and they base it around it. So this year, there's a, a pool length thing going on, so we're doing that. Um, I don't actually have anything to do with the planning of the program, so to a certain extent, I'm just hired to come and play it, which is what I'm doing. <laughs> But, of course, you know, obviously on the whole, I mean, I enjoy it. And uh, this isn't, Poulenc isn't the kind of stuff that one plays that often, because there isn't that much of it, really, that's for orchestra. There are a few chord pieces, there's this, a few other things. So you don't come along across it that often. And he's got this particular French orchestration, this particular sound, which is rather refreshing. You know, it's completely different from Marlowe or whatever. There's a uh, sort of uh, clarity to the orchestration of it, which, you know, it's Poulenc, it's him, it's the French style. So, and, you know, you think of cafes and all that kind of thing, so it's quite nice. <laughs> was, he, was he too busy being a playboy and a celebrity rather than being a composer? Well, you're asking the wrong person, so I don't know that much, <laughs> I should imagine he would be, yes. Because he was an what, he wrote character. songs. Hmm? He wrote songs. Right? Yes, he wrote a lot of songs. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is, is there a particular, obviously because we're doing three concerts this week and they're each exploring a different part of Poulon's kind of voice as a composer, but for you, what do you find you connect to most? Is it the big, the Gloria, the kind of very but big personally, stuff or I, I, I like this smaller stuff yeah. best. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I, I love, you know, the Gloria and, and the organ concerto, uh, but there's something maybe, from, from my perspective, a little bit too in, in your face about them. Um, whereas this is quite subtle and quite quirky. I think his music's quirky. Oh, yes. It's got a lot of energy and verve about it, but then he'll suddenly do something a little bit unexpected. And, and I think you feel that more, or you can react yes. to that more in this sort of smaller, more intimate combination when you're, when you're playing it. Yes. I think maybe going to listen is probably... I think listening to the door is yeah, it's amazing. fabulous, because you know, it's just really special the way he yeah. writes for soprano and everything it's just it's just marvellous but when you're playing this it's, a, it's very different because there's only yeah. there's so few of us so you instantly you go into a different realm of how it's wrong to say how how switched on you have to be because whatever you're doing you have to be switched on but it's a slightly different thing so you're reacting I'm reacting very much to exactly what she's playing exactly what Mark's playing and what the clarinet's playing it's, it's to how I play when as it gets bigger you sort of slightly do less of that because there's more and more people and things get slightly more general. So when you're doing a bigger orchestral piece, it's not quite the same. So with this, we're all, we've all got our ears on everybody else playing and looking at them and listening to them and playing things together. So we can, we can say something and it won't necessarily correspond to what we do because we'll all just <laughs> do what, what we do because we look at each other. I mean, I think that's what the conductor intends as well. I don't yeah. think that would be well, rude. So. But, no, I mean, he does this and that, but we will play something with when Alex plays something. 
it's a wonderful exploration of the colours of the orchestra. I think that's what we're yes. what we're what we're really enjoying. We can we can hear we can listen to what what everybody else is doing, and and Pulak himself, like like few other composers, really brings out those exquisite colours. We did a, a a lovely concert which didn't in, involve these two guys um, last week with the wind soloist of the orchestra, and it was just Pulak's wind music with piano, a, again in ch- chamber form, very very small, very very intimate, and it was fantastic. Everybody loved it. We had we highlight the five different woodwind instruments in the orchestra and horn, and we each did a sonata with piano, and then all came together for five instruments plus piano at the end. And so it was a it was really a festival of of exploring the colours of, of the wind in the orchestra. So perhaps that goes some way to answering the question of um, why we would be very happy to do Poulenc in, in, in such a festival. Does he write good wind parts? Are yeah, they good? He, yeah he does. It, extraordinary. Considering yeah. he was a pianist and uh, he, he really brought out the colours, particularly what comes to mind is the flute sonata. Mm. That's just magnificent. That, the colours that he got out of that. But listening to the music you're just playing, there's a, there's a lovely bit where it really feels like two very different voices, and sometimes the strings are doing one thing and the, mm. the woodwind's doing something else, and then sometimes yes. it plays together. Yes. I think, is it Barbara Thompson? Juxtaposing Tom- and then on the alone. Very yeah. good. Yeah. And is it Barbara Thompson who does that as well when she's got. Because she, she's a. Uh, composes for flute and sax and all kinds of other things, and it's got a nice jazz feel there. So. There doesn't seem to be very many places to hide when you're in an orchestra of eight. No. <laughs> I think it's worth saying too that um, obviously this is Poulenc year and, and it's also Britain um, anniversary year as well and it's quite nice. I mean there's a lot of festivals sort of exploring the music of Britain quite rightly um, but when there's sort of someone so important as Benjamin Britain other composers who might have their anniversaries tend to get sort of lost <coughs> in the background. So it's lovely to be able to, to sort of champion Poulain's work as well. Mm. Yes. Okay. Does, the, does the, the orchestra play a lot of smaller stuff like this, if you see what I mean? Because, uh, or is it more uh, chamber orchestra and bigger normally? Is, is, the, is the size of this ensemble for tonight unusual or quite common? Well, usually we're a bit bigger, but... We, uh, I don't know how, I mean, we do big symphonic stuff sometimes, but basically it's a chamber orchestra, <laughs> so it has like two basses, four cellos going up from yeah. that and um, double woodwind. Um, so, I mean, how many people do we have? Like about 35, yeah, 30 something like yeah, that. 34, which is what we normally, I mean, most of us, <coughs> when we're working, we work with other ensembles, other chamber orchestras, that kind of size. Um, so we do a lot of that. Um, I think what, what's, I mean, I've not, although I've started my job in, in January, I've sort of worked with the orchestra a little bit before, this is the first project I've done, um, and it's not saying that that's the way it's always been, but that's had sort of a real mixture of winds and strings yeah. in this smaller formation. Yes. I've done quite a few things here with a small group of string players, yes. um, <coughs> but it is my first experience yeah. with this group. Because well, a lot of it's about repertoire, so... You know, if you're going to get the instruments together to do something, it's quite often it's easier to have a concert where you have wind music because you've got six or seven wind players there, so you concentrate on wind music. And the same with string, and there's a lot of string repertoire which yeah. excludes string um, winds, which is a huge pity because there are times when Mark <coughs> won't turn up here today for ages because there's there's nothing 
I have to reintroduce myself to my colleagues. <laughs> no, it would be fair to say that we are doing more and more concerts like this, highlighting yeah. yes. the, the different smaller sections of the orchestra and, and ch real chamber concerts. But then we do the, the very large things as well, like the opera season that's coming up. Yes. So, so it's a very, very varied, varied palette we have. Do they yeah. appeal to different demographics? So you get like, like this one. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, op yeah. opera gets a, a different thing anyway. And then this is opera in Holland Park, so it's outdoor opera, it's during the summer. So that gets a different set of people yeah. as well. So you get a lot of people who possibly, that might be the only thing they do in a year that's at all cultural on the music side. They'll go to the opera and they'll enjoy it and they'll have a nice picnic. So you've got them, and then we do some, some weirder stuff that brings out people who really want to hear something specific, which they won't hear other places. Um, and this tonight, and, you know, it's got a completely different vibe because it's here. So we've got younger people coming to it, which is great because I mean our audiences quite often tend to be middle-aged and upwards, which is quite often to do with available money. I think not that younger people aren't interested, but you know, so we get um, different things, different audiences, different things, and it's uh, it's rather fun. There's <coughs> people come and talk to you and say the most bizarre things. <laughs> <laughs> So this, the events here do actually get a different, yeah. different demographic noticeably different. I think so. I think yeah. It's yeah. Been yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell because it's dark. But no, I, <laughs> I think there is. I would have said so. Yeah, yes. we definitely do. With this is more aimed at a younger audience and bringing a younger audience to classical music and intru introducing people who perhaps aren't interested in classical yeah. music. This is for people mm. who perhaps this is their first time coming to a yeah. concert. So that's really what closer is for. Do you think that it uh, has a flow over that you people that come here then explore well, no, that's no. what we're hoping the intention but we don't know yes. that's, that's what yeah. we want I mean so ideally we'd want everybody yeah. like when yeah. I was a child you know I was introduced to classical music at school and yeah. it was very normal and I just went on through life with it because I don't know if that happens so much now so we, if we get people into a concert we want to hopefully engage them enough that they'll think oh I might go to something else I might go to one of those operas which isn't my kind of thing and see what it's like yeah. Yeah, the worst thing is you can come and think oh that's right world, but you might come and think, wow, I didn't know it could be like this, yeah. which is what happened to me when I went to Rome. First off, yeah. I thought, wow, <laughs> shut up. Did you have a question, Leah? Um, the, my question was if you thought that this helped bolster new audiences and bring it to everything else. We, we do it. genuinely Well, again, hope we hope so. so. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so difficult to tell. How do you tell? And we try and chat with everybody. We stay, stay around for a drink afterwards and meet <laughs> yeah. everybody and ask them if they enjoyed it and what they enjoyed about it or what they didn't enjoy. That's yeah. also very interesting to us, too. Without jumping on the table and saying, did you like it? Are you coming back? Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, events like this and other events in London of a similar kind of setup, I think, are aimed at breaking down the fourth wall between audience and the players. I mean, does that inform, do you think, your performance when you're performing like this and you have people sitting so close to you? Because obviously, for an audience, it's great, but I'm really interested to kind of know if that makes a difference to you.
Well, thank you very much for your time and your patience listening along with us. Uh, it's been a fun show. Harry Potter, bit of booze, a few toilet tips on the tube, and some music and stuff. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we've lolled, haven't we? Yeah, we have some lolling. We have some lolling, ruffling, and PMSNing. So, <laughs> so thanks very much indeed. I'm Ian Hawkins. My producer's been Ollie Hunter. You've been listening to London Life on Zone One Radio. Follow us at London Life Radio. Radio. London Life Radio. London Life Radio. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> Follow us at London Life Radio. On Twitter, obviously. That, otherwise, don't just shout that expect <laughs> as to magically appear you know, Candyman-like in the mirror. Says <laughs> so three times, then an Ian will appear behind you. <laughs> that is sinister. <laughs> Say my name at midnight. Um, Something horrible will happen. So, next week... What have we got next week? I don't know yet. Next week I'm interviewing the entrepreneurs who've, got a, who've launched a, a book on Amazon. It's St George's Day weekend. The weather seems to be reflecting that. <laughs> <laughs> and who knows what else is going to fall into the Zone 1 ragbag inbox that gets forwarded to us and turns into the radio programme you're listening to now. Take care, listener. Bye. This is Zone 1 Radio. Next. Next, I want you to go and see Dis Weiter Heimat, a German film that lasts 26 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to do it in one. in, in real time. Okay. Start to finish. Um. Great. So your name is? Charlotte. Charlotte. Marie. Marie and? Jess. Jess. And your diehard Harry Potter fans, I take it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> she has a time turner around her neck. Because <laughs> I have, I have no. You don't know what that is. I have no idea what any of this is. <laughs>